All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Swapcast. This is Phoenix Kalita. And we are here today. We have a very special guest. We are going to hang out with Krista Daring, who is the executive director of Swap, but is leaving at the end of this week. And I am so sad about it. Um, anyways, Krista, would you like to say hi? Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm going to miss you on our weekly, our daily check-ins, um, but I will then see you weekly for quite a while. Um, thanks for having me on today. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, your history with Swap? I'm, I'm like feeling, I might actually cry while we're recording this. Like I'm so emotional about you leaving, but can you tell us about your time with Swap? Sure. So I joined the National Swap USA board in September of 2015. Um, so this marks five years that I've been involved nationally. Um, to be perfectly honest, when I first joined the organization and after a few months, I seriously questioned my decision to join. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on internally and despite folks really, I think, trying their best, it was, it's been a long period of growth and I've been doing organizing for almost 20 years at this point. Um, I was just sort of like, is this, is this fixable? Um, and I had to have a really serious assessment of myself and talking to other people on the board and meeting with some of our chapters. I also co-founded um, the, the Baltimore chapter of SWAP at the same time. Um, and I decided to see what could change. Um, and I was on the board um, and then in 2018, I had recently been nominated to be president of the board. Um, and I was actually driving out to West Virginia with my mom when news came that Backpage was down. Uh, we've certainly known about, you know, SESTA-FOSTA coming into place prior to that, um, you know, and the argument was, oh, we can't attack Backpage without SESTA-FOSTA, um, which of course was patently false. Like they took it down before the bill was actually signed. Um, it was just a mechanism for them to have an excuse to pass this bill um, or set of bills rather. Mm -hmm. And we, I spent a good portion of my first of two nights supposedly on vacation, just talking to the media, talking to the board, talking to our chapters, trying to organize an emergency call. Um, and it became very apparent within a couple of weeks that we needed an expanded capacity at Swap USA um, just to handle even basic requests for assistance or navigating the world in a post back page world. And within a couple of weeks, I was working 40 hours a week as board president and 40 hours a week at my day job. And I came to the board and I said, we had already been planning on hiring an executive director. And I said, I think that the hiring needs to happen now. Um, and then the board went back and said, well, would you be interested in serving in this role? Um, and I said yes, with the stipulation that it only be for two years. Um, we'd been in discussion with this for a while and specifically that the transition of SWAP historically as largely white is middle-class organization was not okay. Um, and so I said, I'd be comfortable doing this role for two years, getting our shit figured out, um, but I can't stay longer than that. Um, and I feel I can't believe that it actually worked. <laughs> I mean, it's two and a half years. Um, Phoenix, you in an executive role, Velvet and Alexandria in executive roles. And like, 
you know, I'm really sad to leave because I love you all so much and I love working with you, but I just couldn't have imagined it working out better than it did. Yeah, I'm actually um, surprised with how well things turned out. And it seems like in such a short amount of time, um, the amount of change that has happened in like the last, um, I'd say what, two to three years with Swap National, I would imagine it would take so much longer with a lot of other organizations. And I just think that's really just a testament to uh, how much work you've done. Like, it's really impressive the amount of uh, ways you've been able to uh, push folks in the right direction. So, yeah, you're honestly just amazing with everything you've done with regards to Swap, for sure. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Phoenix, because I remember, I mean, right after Backpage and before the signing of Sesta Fosta, you know, we've talked about this. We had that sit down in D.C. Yes. And I was just like, there's really no person, no reason for this person to, sorry, there's a chicken. Uh, there's no reason for this person to trust me or trust this organization again. And I just am so grateful. I have so much gratitude that you were willing to take that risk. Um, and all the work that you put into this transition as well. Yeah. Um, also, yes, if you hear chickens in the background, Krista has chickens. And I am, like, incredibly jealous because I also want chickens. <laughs> so, yes. Chickens, bees, butterflies, everything's at Krista's house. Like, that's just, like, the nature spot. You should turn your house Hell yeah. You should turn your house into, like, a nature farm and just, like, let people come take tours. <laughs> I was doing that at the beginning of lockdown when all the schools were out. Um, I was letting like neighborhood kids come over and hang out with the chickens and see oh. all the stuff. But now it's like still, it's a little risky still for that. I love everything about that though. That is such a comrade Krista thing to do too. Oh my God. <laughs> Honestly. Um, all right. So tell me about your time as ED. What have been some of the struggles? What have been some of the triumphs? How how was it being ED for two years and drastically changing one of the one of the or one of the largest or if not the largest sex worker rights organization in the country? Whew. Um, I mean, I had some background in nonprofits prior to on this role. Um, I certainly had a strong background in um, finance, in like cooperative finance. Mm -hmm. So. The biggest hurdles were really like, one of the biggest hurdles is really logistical. Um, you know, we've had to change our banking around a lot because a lot of banks don't want to deal with sex workers. Um, we're in the unfortunate position of having to work with a large bank that otherwise is pretty shitty, um, but doesn't blink an eye when, you know, a sex workers outreach project comes up on our bank statements, which I really appreciate because that's not always the case. Right. Um, but even just, figuring out how to run a national nonprofit financially, um, especially just through the bureaucracy of banking. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. There was a learning curve there. Um, and just a lot of like, there isn't a lot of institutional memory at Swap. Um, you know, the, the organization was founded in 2003. Um, I think the earliest I have records for is probably 2013. Okay. Um, so there was a 10 year period where there just wasn't any, I don't have any of that documentation outside of like oral history. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's been a lot of like reinvention of the wheel. Um, and I think also just the <sighs> swap has done as an institution, as individuals, you know, harm has been done, missteps have been made, and those are real. Um, I'm very hopeful that we are on the way to setting a better example moving forward but I don't I also don't want to say like if you had a shitty experience with swap one two five years ago that like that 
isn't that that shouldn't be erased. Like I accept that that's part of the history. It's part of the baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a lot of name recognition that can bring awareness to our movement. And I think one of the things that I was really excited to do, um, and I don't know how democratic this was, was but bring my own political lens into something that had been a little bit more mainstream. Like I'm an I'm a prison abolitionist. I'm a police abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those were issues that the organization had skirted before, but when I became ED, I pretty unrepentantly was like, I'm gonna put this at the forefront. Like, I think that this is important. And I think that we have a lot more in common with abolition organization than we do with sort of a personal liberty organization. Yeah. Um, I do think personal liberty is a part of the sex workers rights movement, but it's not, it's not as important to me because I think it gets really stuck in this kind of like empowerment, self-responsibility narrative that yeah. I don't think is particularly helpful. Um, so that was a big shift that I wanted to make and it seems that that has resonated well. I think we've made a lot more alliances with those organizations um, that are in that vein. And I think it's really important as we look towards focusing more and more on racial and gender justice that like police and prison abolition are crucial to those movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't want to have the empowerment conversation about sex work ever again. <laughs> I second that. We should never, ever, 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 ever have that conversation again. I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm tired of it. Um, yeah, this the, the empowerment angle is one of the most infuriating things when people talk about sex work because it just it doesn't matter. It just doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like, let's not do it again. Um, but yeah, you know, I. I hugely support prison abolition and police abolition. I'm also really enjoying starting to be able to talk to other orgs that do other types of like social justice activism. As you know, I'm always ranting about this, but like when it comes to, you know, rights for disabled folks and when it comes to, you know, dealing with poverty and, you know, just so many things are tied into the fight for sex workers rights as well as labor rights too. And I'm finding it's really difficult to get involved with labor rights movements. They seem very hesitant to want to work with sex workers. And that makes me sad. It makes me very sad. But, um, you know, we're making progress. We're doing what we can. And I just, yeah, I just feel like there's so many places to go to when it comes to fighting for sex workers' rights, um, especially when it comes to gender issues, racial issues, class issues. Like, there's so much there to work with. And, yeah. (laughs) You were very diplomatic the way you phrased it, but I know exactly the type of folks you're talking about. And, like, we can do better, y'all. Let's do better. (laughs) I mean, I remember when I was a 20-year-old sex worker and I was, you know, young and wide-eyed yeah I mean I wanted to talk about the empowerment stuff it was really important to me but you know 14 years later right right (laughs) and I think it's great if people do feel empowered in the work good for you it's just not a good of course as we know whether or not someone is empowered is not what dictates whether or not they have labor rights yes yes and you know and I guess just for folks who are a little bit confused maybe about why we're opposed to that argument Uh, The reasons I personally am opposed to doing the empowerment argument is that a lot of folks aren't empowered, and that's because there's so many other factors involved, like race and gender and, uh, you know, income level and things like that, that make any type of labor not necessarily empowering. 
But for some reason, when it's applied to sex work, that's a reason to strip sex workers of rights or deny sex workers have agency, which leads to like really bad policies like Sesta Fosta, right? Or these uh, like the fucking Nordic model, like we have to save these poor victims from themselves. They just don't know any better type shit. And so it really is like a stripping of personal agency and basically an excuse to create policy about sex workers without having to consult sex workers and it's also really frustrating because people say oh well if you're not empowered somehow you're like less deserving of rights and respect and you know for me personally I see like a really huge tie-in with how we treat um you know like hourly workers like especially in like customer service type industries because the same people who will argue that if a sex worker isn't empowered they don't deserve rights are the exact same people who will argue that like it's okay to be rude to a cashier or someone who's like doing the fries at McDonald's because they're just that and nothing more than that and they don't deserve respect so which is another reason that I'm like please let's talk about sex worker rights and labor labor rights together please but you know yeah just Lay off the empowerment argument, Um, whether or not somebody deserves dignity and safety and the ability to, you know, make enough money to survive should not hinge on whether or not their work is empowering. Just let's let's not do it anymore. Y'all, please. 2020, leave empowerment behind. (laughs) (laughs) That's great on brand for 2020. Yeah, well, you know me. I still think we're all dead and stuck in a hell loop, and that's just that. (laughs) What I think is interesting, too, what you're bringing up, because I I think that there is, I agree with you about um, people being rude to service employees, but I almost feel like there's, like, a fetishization of, like, the suffering of, like, the fast food employee, but the suffering of sex workers is, like, somehow put in this different category, maybe because, like, there's a perception that sex workers are making more money. I don't know. Like I've seen that a lot in some conversations where it's like, well, you shouldn't be a sex worker. You should be working at fast food. It's like, well, you're going to make less money and you're probably still going to be miserable. So like, what's the argument here? Like, why is this one? Why is this an honorable job? And this is a dishonorable job. Yeah, there is. I think that goes back to um, a lot of mentality. That's like steeped in that sort of like, protestant work ethic type thing right like the more you suffer eventually god's gonna reward you with something good but if you're doing Mm. sex work you're like inherently immoral because sex outside of marriage is immoral so you can never be like truly rewarded for all this like all your penance and misery and suffering (laughs) i was like i don't i really think there's like a i don't know i mean like that's just my theory about it but that makes sense yeah because i even remember like um oh who's that jackass who writes for the new york times um, Kristoff. Oh God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everybody hates Kristoff, but, um, he actually wrote that whole thing about how it was, um, he wrote like this really long op-ed in the New York times in defense of sweatshops because he argued it's better to be exploited in a, in a sweatshop than to work at a brothel. And I was like, better for whomst? Like, I don't want to work in a sweatshop. Like, what the fuck? What? No, I don't want to work at a sweatshop. <laughs> like, you know, but apparently no, that you. was like more dignified. It was more dignified labor to him or more dignified uh, humanity to live in a slum and work in a sweatshop than to be a sex worker. And I was like, that's it's interesting coming from some white man who's never done either. But OK. Right. Like, because <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean, you know, if I was given the choice between those two things, I know what I would pick like personally. And, you know, that might not be right for somebody else, but I know what I would do. And 
And it was just really frustrating that people who haven't lived in that life are like, I have very strong opinions about this life experience that I've never, ever had. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, all right, then. <laughs> Get a hobby, you know? Like, if you really need something to occupy your time, do something. Like, why are you in our shit? <laughs> I'm Seriously, go, I don't know, go volunteer at, like, an animal shelter. Go, go wash the puppies. I don't know. Like, go do something else. I don't save know. some kittens. Exactly, exactly. Save some kittens. Save some trees. I don't go go plant some trees. I don't know. Just leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I do think that is definitely uh, part of that rhetoric too. Is that it's the whole like, oh, the sex workers are so downtrodden and abused, and they just don't know anything, and they have no agency. Therefore, they need me to speak for them. And it's like, no, the fuck, we don't. Sex workers are perfectly capable of speaking for themselves, right? Like, what's that uh, saying? There's no such thing as anybody who's uh, the voiceless. It's just the people that don't want to, that, you know, nobody else wants to be heard. Like, sex workers have a Mm -hmm. voice, if you want to listen to it. It's the, can the subaltern speak? That's the, I think that's the academic term. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's just, I don't know, so frustrating. We've taken a slight tangent from your time at Swap, sorry. (laughs) I'm a rather tangential person, as anyone who listens to me knows by now. But, yes, so I'm sorry, you were saying about Swap. Yeah, so, I mean, I've done a a bunch of sit-downs recently where I've tried to write, like, what my my lessons are for myself, uh, observations I've made, hopes for the future, um... And definitely sometimes I'm in like a cynical mindset and sometimes I'm in an optimistic mindset. I mean, I just am really excited about the work that you and Velvet and Alexandria and the it, like the experience and the wisdom and the knowledge that you all are bringing. And like, I'm really excited to actually get to go back to just being a chapter rep and <laughs> be on the other side. Um, yeah. And I'm really just hoping I'm not going to be super annoying because um, like, I like know how the hot dog is made, you know? Yeah. So I don't right. want to be like, well, you guys. Um, so I, I need to like do some, some ego checking there, I think. Um, and I just, I think we're at a really interesting moment in the sex workers rights movement. Um, I never imagined that there would be mainstream discourse on police and prison abolition. Um, the decriminalization would be coming up the way that it is. I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that a lot of the mainstream narratives are still pretty uninformed or critical of what we're talking about. But the Black Lives Matter movement has done so much in such, I mean, it's, you know, of course, a very long lineage of a movement, but this current iteration of it is just incredible. And I'm really excited to see Swap being able to not just be in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, but to be an organization that has folks that are in that movement that can bring our issues together. I mean, I think that decriminalization has been on a lot of the BLM platforms for a while. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm just very grateful that people have had that insight and that we can really work in, in tandem and meaningful solidarity, not just in name. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I find that when it comes to, um, you know, like Black Lives Matter pushing for decrim, is what is the saying? Like, uh, we know how to multitask, right? <laughs> There's a lot of folks coming together right now, and I'm so excited to see where it goes, ultimately. 
but yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm assuming there's an active Black Lives Matter chapter by you. There has to be one, right? Um, we have a lot of different organizations that are certainly in solidarity with uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, there's the Black Visions. Well, Black Visions is in Minneapolis. Here we have Organizing Black, um, and they're really incredible. I've had great conversations with them. Um, it's so weird in the pandemic. You know, I've been doing street outreach with Swap Baltimore, so I've been yeah. a little isolated to try to, like, keep my infection rate or infection probability low. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, and we have a lot of incredible, like, uh, queer and trans black organizations in Baltimore, specifically Baltimore Safe Haven, that's doing really incredible work that's mm -hmm. uh, both for sex workers and specifically around uplifting black trans lives. I love it. Yeah, I'm so excited to see how all these organizations can start merging together because there's so many similar goals um, and because so many of our, you know, various communities are impacted in such similar ways. Like, I'm just really excited that folks are realizing like, oh, actually, it is a good idea to get in solidarity with these other folks. But yeah, so yes. And of course, I'm sure that um, when you're a chapter rep, you will be amazing and not annoying at all. And you were going to help us. Yes. And you're going to help us do some uh, community organizing and uh, getting together with other folks in your area. I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. You'll be all right. You'll have to come visit and ride around in the RV. I do want to ride around in the RV. Can you tell everybody what the RV is? That's so fucking cool. Yeah. So Swap Baltimore just got a grant from um, our local open society office um, that's specifically for COVID response. And we are going to buy an RV with it so that we can provide showers and bathrooms um, to folks that we, we have street outreach two days a week right now. We're hoping to increase to three days a week. Um, and then once the, hopefully once we get through COVID, assuming that happens, um, actually have a place where folks can come hang out inside, get warm, get cool in the summer, um, fucking watch a movie if they want. Um, we'll be able to provide hot and cold food. Um, and we do provide food right now along with a bunch of other supplies. Um, we can't prepare any of it ourselves. Um, food is one of my love languages and I'm really looking forward to being able to just like cook for folks um, and bring something out that like I'm proud of. Um, I mean, we have really amazing donations from um, a collective here right now called uh, Mira Kitchen, which is a worker cooperative, which is made up entirely of refugees. Um, and they all, they're a catering company that cooks food from where they came from and their food is just incredible. Um, they actually catered a Swap USA board summit that we had in Baltimore nice. two years ago. Um, so I'm, I feel really lucky to work with them, um, but I do want to cook for people and I'm excited to drive around like a 30 foot vehicle. Yes, <laughs> I'm so excited to see the RV. And yes, you can cook for me anytime. I've had your cooking, it's friggin' delicious. Um, yes. So, yeah, also I have to cook for you, too, because you said you've never really had, like, a lot of Puerto Rican food, so I apparently have to make Puerto Rican food for you? Please. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I just think it's really awesome, and I love hearing that Swap Chapters are being able to do this type of work. I think that's just a really amazing thing to be able to get an RV that folks can come in and, you know, take a shower, come hang out, or come get warm. I, that's so, so, so important because a lot of folks just don't have those opportunities, and... It's really exciting that it's like a sex worker org that's doing it. Like that just makes me feel so much better, you know? I don't know. I'm, I'm super excited. And right now, I mean, Swap Baltimore is all volunteers, but we're also through this grant, we're gonna be able to hire a number of our participants that we normally see on outreach to actually mm -hmm. be 
peer outreach workers with us. Um, nice. So being able to like offer low barrier employment, especially right now, is just like really exciting. That's amazing. That's exactly the type of work that we need though. Like really, truly. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. That's so cool. Yay. I'm so, I'm so excited <laughs> for you. That's like really. That's Me great. too. And I think like I'm over, I think I people think I'm like over exaggerating by the tone of my voice, but like seriously, y'all, it's so hard um, when it comes to like sex worker activism and organizing to get things because as soon as people hear the term sex worker, they're like, and we're done talking to you. And like that happens so often. So actually um, seeing results, positive results is just like such a nice change of pace. Oh my God. <laughs> you know. It felt very much like rolling a rock up a hill uh, for many, many years. And yes, I don't want to. I don't want to curse us by saying this, but you know, I, it seems like we're making some inroads. Definitely, and you know, and a lot of that is because of tireless work from folks like you. So once again, thank you for what you do. You know, a lot of um, this headway would not have been made if we didn't have folks like you in here every day doing this fucking work. So we really appreciate that. Oh my God. And now you. And now me. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did not, I never envisioned myself having a job where, like, nope, my job is to talk to people all day long. Like, all right. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. <laughs> but yeah, so you're leaving as ED. How do you feel about it? Um, things are a little uncertain. I don't have another job yet. Um, so that makes me feel a little a little scared. Um, I stopped seeing in-person clients at the beginning of the pandemic, again, just to try to limit my potential exposure. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the folks that we see on street outreach are at higher risk of complications from COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the privilege of being able to stop seeing clients. So now I'm sort of revisiting that idea. Um, and I guess I'm like, part of me is really excited to like, if I can, you know, find money, um, sort of be myself a little bit. Like, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm still going to be checking in with you all once a week, but like, I'm going to go camping yeah. on Monday and Tuesday and just be by myself. Like, uh, I feel like part of being the ED has been always sort of being watched and maybe that's partially me not having great boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like there's a certain level of like scrutiny which is required of being in leadership like it's important to have people hold you accountable and to be transparent but yeah. there's i'm sort of looking forward to the opportunity of being a little bit out of the public eye okay <laughs> i get um, it yeah and i'm excited to see what the next you know chapter for me is my plan was to go to acupuncture school but again the pandemic changed everything mm -hmm. um, i decided not to go into a bodywork program when i can't actually touch other people's bodies um particularly safely um so i mean it's gonna be at least a month that i'm like not in another salaried position so mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna do a bunch of gardening um i'm gonna install a raiding garden in my yard Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm raising a bunch of caterpillars. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yes. I might build a new chicken coop. Oh, you're building a new chicken coop? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with the one you have? Because uh, I want to get more chickens next year, and this one's a little, like, is fine for four chickens, but if I want to get six or eight, uh, what kind of chickens bigger. are you going to get? 
What was that? So what kind of chickens are you going to get? Um, I forget what they're called, but my partner really wants the ones that are like really puffy face and they look like they have a little mustache with their feathers. Oh, Aracanas? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's so fun because they lay like fun colored eggs too. Blue, I think. Uh, some of them are blue, some of them are pink, and some of them are green. So it's like, find out. It's like a surprise. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. That's- but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it feels uncertain. I, I know that I just keep saying this, but like, I'm just, I'm really excited to be an observer in you and Velvet and Alexandria just making the executive team your own. <laughs> yes. Um, like, I feel like 2020, as horrible and nightmarish as it has been, um, has really reminded me that, like, imagination is really important and that there's, like, I can imagine lots of horrible things and I've imagined a lot of the horrible things that have happened this year and there's many horrible things that I couldn't imagine that happened this year. Mm-hmm. But then... I have to also like exercise radical imagination in terms of like what is positively possible. Right. Um, and I know that there are things that you all are going to build that like I can't even anticipate, that none of us can anticipate. And I'm just, I'm so psyched to see what that's going to be. Yeah, I think like, it's, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, that's it. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting coming in um, as somebody who's been very critical of Swap in the past to now working for Swap um, to sort of take over and see where things go. Um, I think it's definitely a new experience for everybody. So we'll see what the growing pains look like because you know those are going to be inevitable. (laughs) And so we'll see what that looks like in terms of, um, so now we have a different structure. um, We have a different approach. We have a different leadership and what can we do with it and I I think that folks are um, cautiously optimistic watching us and that kind of makes me feel good to know that there's a little bit of hope to maybe um, create some relationships or rekindle relationships that you know have fallen off so I'm really excited to see where we go and how we get to sort of make it ours I think that'll be I think that'll be good (laughs) I'm so excited so yes, I don't know. I'm nervous, but it's good. Yeah. It's it's fair to be nervous. I mean, you know, I feel like we talked about this a lot in our staff meetings. You know, I mean, the first, I mean, still every day I sort of feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but like certainly the first six months that I was in this role, like every day I was sort of like, I have no idea what, what to do about this. I guess <laughs> right. I'll like Google best practices or like <laughs> meditate on it and try to figure out what the best course of action is. And right. it's like, you're always we're always gonna make mistakes there's always a potential for like harm um you know i mean i think like as i have read a lot more from you know really smart people on transformative and restorative justice and we, as we talk about abolition you know we're all capable of harm you know i think the neoliberal yeah. idea is like there's good guys and there's bad guys and like if you're a good person, anything bad that you do is excusable. And if you're a bad person, everything you do is inexcusable. And yeah. like, we just have to think about transforming harm in different ways. And that mm-hmm. like, we're all capable of harm. And like, how do we deal with that? Um, and try to get out in front of it, but also just accept that like, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Conflict is inevitable. Yes. It's part of it. Yes, for sure. 
Uh, no, I completely agree with that. And I think that's a really accurate assessment. And I think that um, I would love to see much more of a focus on transformative justice and restorative justice. And I think that, like, you know, that when you start explaining those principles to people, that it makes more sense. Um, uh, when it, then, like, you tie the conversation to things like prison abolition or police abolition. Because I still think, even though it's becoming more and more uh, mainstream to talk about these ideas, a lot of people are still like, prison abolition well you just mean let all the rapists out and it's like well i mean first of all most of the rapists aren't in so like let's just be honest about that but um no that's many not of them what, are police many of them are police and like but no that's not what that means like right and i think people have this like they hear the word abolition and they're just like oh like complete chaos just let everybody out nothing's illegal and it's like nah, that's not what that means you know right and so it's still like really trying to focus on that. And I'm hoping the more that we talk about, you know, concepts like restorative justice, that prison abolition will be more and more um, understood and talked about. So fingers crossed and all that as it tends to go. But, yeah. I mean, these are things that, have, that exist in communities and it's just like the sort of the mainstream narratives are just unaware of them. Like they only see what is being projected in terms of like violent crime, which is yeah. still like on the decline. Yeah. Um, and don't really understand how communities relate to each other. I mean, I you know, we talk about this a lot in Swap Baltimore, like the ways that, um, you know, folks that we interact with, like manage conflict and harm within community. And like, because they're part of a community, they're not living in uh, cul-de-sacs where they're completely isolated from everyone. Like yeah. they actually rely on each other. Um, and yes, conflict comes up, but they protect each other. And yeah. like, we have to like, respect that and learn from that um and there's just a great sort of understanding divide there i think mm -hmm. definitely, the, definitely. Fearful, the fearful suburban people who don't understand what it's like to be in a, a mutualistic relationship oh yeah i definitely agree with that and you know it's interesting how just a little bit of lived experience can change so much of one's like life perspective overall because, <laughs> yeah, I find a lot of folks um, just don't. If you explain it, it usually makes sense to them. But just hearing the words, it just doesn't make sense initially in their head. Because, like, that can't be a thing or that's a bad thing. And it's like, okay, but sit, just sit with it. Think about it. <laughs> you know, do some research on it. And, you know, we can change opinions. But it's going to be uphill uh, just all the way completely. But I feel like we can do it. It's just going to take time. Yeah. And patience. Lots of patience. Lots of patience. Which is not my strong suit. I'm working on that one. <laughs> like, yes, lots of patience. But, yeah. I guess that's the, that's the little the little pro tip I would say. If you if you can get into meditation as an executive at Swap, do it now. Try to do it now. Start meditating? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do the, um, I have a bunch of uh, the books with the uh, the mandala, mand mandala, mandalas. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yes. I just, like, sit and color them. I'm just like, ugh. Yes. Yeah, for sure. While listening to like a classical music in the background, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. That sounds lovely. It's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fortunate enough because um, I was going to the Unitarian Church, and there's a lady lady there who's like, I have a bunch of books if anybody wants them. She had like just boxes full of like coloring books, and I was like, Well, I'm just gonna take a box. <laughs> nice, sweet. I love those. So yeah. That was good. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But yeah. Um, do you have any other tips for people who are now EDs or executives? 
Um, conflict happens. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's not. But it's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Shit is going to go wrong. Noted. <laughs> I think I think that's what you just said. Yeah. Drink a lot of water. <laughs> try to try to try to get a good amount of sleep. Oh, now I know you're playing. There's. <laughs> That was directed specifically at you. That you say that was directed specifically at me? Oh, I feel very called. I feel very attacked right now. I'm being called out. <laughs> I'm I'm wishing good sleep to you. How about that? Thank you. We'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe after we move, maybe <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So no, I'm I'm super excited to see where Swap goes, and then of course. Um, you know, we want to use Swap Baltimore as sort of like the guinea pig, as it were, for uh, some ideas National has coming. So really, you're not technically leaving us because you're going to be at Swap Baltimore. So, hmm. True. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm metamorphosizing. <laughs> Your face isn't going to fall off, is it? I don't know. We'll see. It's 2020. <laughs> Which, if you don't know, Krista mentioned earlier that they have uh, caterpillars. Apparently, because Krista watches them, has Krista has informed me that when they go into the chrysalis, that like they melt and their face falls off. They're all yeah, all their skin they explode. Is I mean, in literal sense, they explode. Um, all their skin comes off, and the last thing to fall off is their face, and it's a very dramatic moment. <laughs> so, um, as you're going through a metamorphosis, let's hope your face does not fall off. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. I'll do my best. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else about swap in particular about leaving? I just wish everybody the best, and you know, I'll still be here. And uh, but I, I just, I'm excited for the future, and I think that it can be achieved. But we just can't even imagine it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, like, put you too much on the spot, but what are some of the biggest things you've learned other than knowing conflict will exist? What are some of the biggest things you've learned while being at SWAP? Hmm. I mean, I think that there, there's, I mean, I said conflict, but I mean, I think that sort of there, to use conflict in a different way, how do you have a truly grassroots democratic organization that is ground up, but that doesn't put, doesn't shift the work solely onto the locals. How do you strike up a consensual, mutualistic relationship between national leadership and locals who do have different priorities um, and who do have different analysis? I mean, I think that, you know, Part of the swap transition has been a little bit from like totally big tent sex worker organizing to being a little bit more specific. And I think there's been a lot of growing pains there. Um, there had to be some new boundaries and rules. Um, you know, we weren't going to put up with chapters posting all lives matter on their social media accounts. And that just had to be a no. And if people wouldn't acquiesce to that, then they had to, and they wouldn't, they weren't willing to change. Um, we don't all, my perspective is that we can have shared values within a big tent of sex workers' rights, but to be a truly effective 
organization in the way that I hope Swap can be, we have to have a certain level of political specificity, racial justice, trans justice, gender justice. And I would argue a fight against capitalism has to be central to what we're doing. And if mm -hmm. it's not, I think it just dilutes what we're trying to do. I'm not saying that other organizations and other sex workers can't continue to do other work that could be complementary, that we couldn't work together on certain things. But I think that like, there is a power in being really specific and not demanding that you come in the door with all of our shared values or that all of our shared values are absolutely correct. But like without that willingness to learn and engage with a political platform that puts those tenants at the forefront, I just don't think it, I think it falls into some of the trappings of the nonprofit industrial complex to not be specific. Mm -hmm. So now I guess, um, how about a little like advice time with Krista or something like we have your own little segment. Um, so as we're talking, you know, definitely different groups and even within sex worker communities themselves, um, not everybody has the exact same values. How do you decide who to work with and when? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really hard. Um, you know, I mean, I talked to a lot of other organizers who like might work not necessarily in sex workers' rights. Um, you know, I think we see this around a lot of like the internet freedom struggles. I mean, fortunately, you know, we're pretty in line with like the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, a lot of the locals of the ACLU are like coming more and more on board with us. Um, but I think that there are some places that can be difficult. And I brought this up earlier about sort of the more like individual liberty aspects. I mean, I think that like we at times have had successful collaborations with like folks that would identify as like pretty strongly like libertarians. Mm -hmm. But for me, without a guarantee of like universal health care and housing first, um, I don't I don't see that as like a long a long term solution. Right. Um, and so I think it's about figuring out where where we want to go and how we get there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we can like collaborate on some shorter term goals with folks that might not share all of our values, but like ultimately the fight for decriminalization has to include universal healthcare and mm -hmm. universal housing. And I, you know, I would, I, I have some like critiques of the universal basic income in, in the ways that it's implemented mm -hmm. and like specifically mm -hmm. countries like extracting wealth from other countries in order to fund it. Right. Uh, but I do, I fundamentally believe that like, you shouldn't have to have a job in order to live in the world. Yeah. Um, and that like the trappings of capitalism are fundamentally flawed. That's my personal belief. And I have not pushed that super strongly through SWAP, but I think a lot of us share some of those values. Um, I think that it's really important to not work with organizations that their ultimate goals are counter to our own. Like, I think that there are some organizations that say, oh, we want to help sex workers, but ultimately want to abolish prostitution. Like, I don't see that as a as a fruitful mm -hmm. collaboration because ultimately what they're doing in the immediate is hurting our people and taking away resources that could actually go to services. And we see this with a lot of the larger, like anti-trafficking orgs is they don't actually provide these services. Right. But they're hugely funded for advocacy and we yep. are not very well funded at all. And we are still providing services 
we were still doing advocacy and like yeah i have some sour feelings about that <laughs> No, I totally agree. And I've been trying to explain to people more and more, like, you know, the concept of the nonprofit industrial complex where it's like, okay, but what if there is more money to be made by never solving a problem? <laughs> you know? Right. Because, and, and I think that people are sort of like resistant to that idea, but when you like really sit down and think about it, like even at a most basic level, like, okay, so we, like, there's somebody, like Jeff Bezos is a person, right? Bill Gates is a person, but there's people who go hungry. How can we have this much money in a country, but people don't have food at night? That doesn't make sense, right? And then you look at like, and this is how much we donate to, you know, charities and food pantries and, uh, you know, um, like places of worship and, uh, you know, all these, and yet people still don't have food. Weird, you know what I mean? And it's like, there's more uh, empty houses than there are people who don't have housing. That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? And it's just like, when you really sit down and think about it, and, you know, I find that people, you know, it's difficult when it comes to, you know, talking about, like, sex trafficking, because people are like, but, but you know, little girls getting raped. And it's like, yes, that's absolutely horrible, but that's not what these organizations are fighting. <laughs> like, they're not. And I, you know, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, just one of the things that uh, Gusso Goba from Swap Baltimore says, and I don't, I don't think she coined this, but it's always a good reminder. She says, you know, we, the whole point is that we should be trying to not have jobs anymore. Like we should be working to eliminate our jobs because it, sh we shouldn't be necessary. Mm -hmm. Like the work that we're doing, we want to solve the problem, and so our jobs wouldn't exist anymore if the problem wasn't there. Absolutely. Um, and I just always think that's such an important reminder, especially when you're in the nonprofit sphere. And I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. Yeah, they definitely don't. And, you know, I also at the same time get why they don't, because when you start really raking in those donations, you can make, you know, a six figure salary with benefits and it, people don't want to give up that salary. And it's like, if you don't want to give up that salary, then you don't actually want to solve the problems because <laughs> you can't you can't do both. Right. And, you know, I, I think that that's, like, really unfortunate that a lot of, uh, like, large nonprofits have come to that. And so it's just really perpetuating problems or, you know, coming up with policies that don't actually help problems or just, you know, you know, even allowing uh, misinformation about problems. Like, I, you know, my big thing now is just watching, like, liberals especially get tied up in this, like, uh, you know, basically mocking right-wingers for falling for QAnon. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, so stupid. And you're ridiculous if you believe that. You're a fool. QAnon isn't, yeah, Pizzagate's not real. And it's like, but you, at the same time, will happily share, like, myths about sex trafficking. Like, I, yep. I, <laughs> like, two sides, same coin, you know. Well, you know me. I'm going to give a shout out to one of my other favorite podcasts, which is You're Wrong About, which did yes. a great two-part series on... Uh, trafficking, one that came out last November, I think, and then one that just came out around QAnon and the Wayfair conspiracy. And I think they do a pretty good uh, deep dive into it and a little bit of it. Maybe they make fun of them a little bit, but it's it's just a good like numbers, like running the numbers. Yeah. Both liberals and QAnon people are putting out. Yep. Yeah. And it's that sort of a, I, I guess almost a, what, like a modern day satanic panic where it's just all these you know, like, and even, they just had one last, what was it, last week or two weeks ago where they were like, they, Georgia police found like 37 kids in a trailer. You saw that one? Yep. And I was like, they, that didn't happen. They weren't actually in a, what are you talking, like, come on now, you can't even get the most basic facts of the story right? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's just, you know, 
But, uh, you know, people don't realize how much money there is to be made in these things. And I think that's because people just assume by default, if you're a charity and they're donating to you that like the money that's donated actually goes to the, co- the the cause that the charity is set up for. And like, that's not necessarily the thing. It only a part of it has, and it can be a very small part that goes with that. The rest can go to salaries and tools and supplies. And I know there's one, um, anti-trafficking org a bunch of their money goes to like bibles and like christian self-help books like that's not that doesn't feed people that doesn't give people housing like stop buying them christian self-help books about what is god's purpose for you and fucking put them up in a hotel room jesus like you know yeah i think that's one of the things i i really wrestled with when we moved to a staff model was that some of our donations were going to go to overhead and specifically to my salary and my benefits. And it, Mm -hmm. it was, it was a hard thing to reconcile. Um, I think that we've done a pretty good job of keeping those numbers low, um, for better, for worse. Um, I think all of you deserve a raise. Um, but I think it's like keeping that critical eye on it moving forward is important. And like Mm -hmm. how much go, how, where's the balance between, right. Like it's the work that you are all are doing is so important and it needs to be supported so that you can do it. Um, I mean, I've ranted about this before. Like, I think that a culture of volunteerism uh, is hugely problematic and it's part of why um, people of color, trans people, people with disabilities, um, the formerly incarcerated are excluded from a lot of these spaces is because they can't just work for free. Yeah. Can you, um, uh, when you say culture of volunteerism, can you explain what that means for folks? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, what I see in a lot of organizing spaces is because there is no money, especially in sex for sex work organizing, people aren't able to get uh, compensated for their time. But in some ways, it almost becomes what I what my perception, almost a badge of honor, like I'm doing all this work for free. And it's like, I really appreciate that you're doing all this work for free, but you shouldn't have to. And if somebody can't do that work for free, it doesn't mean that they're less qualified to do it. It just means that they're in a different circumstance. And those circumstances frequently fall along lines that are of systematic oppression. And so I think it's important to both challenge the culture of volunteerism that like it's the work is more important because I'm doing it for free to allow more people to enter these organizing spaces, but also to not just become so, so inflated in the nonprofit industrial complex that you stop actually supporting people and are only supporting your staff. Like, I think there's a balance there. I don't quite know where it is, but I think it's something to flag and think about. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah. And I, I think that's really important going forward just to, you know, for folks to consider not just with sex work charities, but with charities in general is, you know, how much is going to salaries, how much like, you know, and, and I think about people like, who is it? Like the, I don't remember the name of the person who runs the Red Cross. They make like a six-figure salary. And I'm like, why? I'm sure they like do. That's, I'm sure it's upper six figures. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's, like, that's just like not appropriate to me. Like, it's really not. You know, I understand like a living wage and, you know, things like that. But when it gets to a point that you can become a millionaire by working for a charity, I have some problems with that. <laughs> not that's telling me the money is not and then of course you know you you know then compare that to like what was it they said when uh the red cross went to haiti um after the earthquakes they only built like five houses and left and i was like well i can see how that would happen if the person who's 
you know, responsible is making like $400,000 a year, you know? And so, yeah, we definitely don't want to, uh, we don't want to go there. We're definitely going to avoid that, but yeah, it is definitely something to keep in mind. And, you know, that really does also tie into, um, you know, living wages and the need to be compensated for labor while also not, um, trying to glorify labor in its own way. You know, like I would love for a more universal basic income type situation where people don't have to work, but unfortunately we're not there yet. Maybe someday soon. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I have hopes. I have hopes. I'm shooting for healthcare. I feel like healthcare is the, like, that's the healthcare is the one step. And then, then we get to housing and then we get to UBI, you know, something I'm, when I sort of think about it in terms of, you know, uh, st- strategic planning and what we've already made some, some efforts on, I think healthcare might be the, maybe, or we're all trapped in hell and nothing will ever get better. <laughs> we're, all, <laughs> we're all trapped in hell and nothing is going to get better. Um, but no, it, it does make sense that healthcare would be the first, uh, like thing to focus on just because not already do so many people already need it. And, you know, like medical bankruptcies are already one of the leading, you know, causes of bankruptcies, but also with mm-hmm. COVID, um, there's so many people who have COVID and are having like long-term symptoms or are going to have, you know, fallout in the future in like five to 10 years from now. Like we have no fucking idea uh, what's going to happen with people who had COVID. And it's like, if there's the sudden rash of like people getting heart attacks and strokes in their forties, cause they had COVID in their thirties, there's going to be a hell of a lot of a push for healthcare. So yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I guess we'll be like a, anarchist communist socialist liberal state or something because giving people health care is all of those things at the same time miraculously because anarchism and liberalism are the same thing actually um just just like communism and socialism are the same thing actually so yeah fun facts i bet you didn't know learn something new every day the amount of times I hear right wing, but I love it when right wingers just put all those things like in one sentence together, like you know the socialist, communist, liberal agenda. Like what the fuck is that? That's not a thing. That's, that's not a thing. Like what? Nancy Pelosi is a communist. Like what? No, I can assure you she is not. <laughs> but yeah, cultural Marxist, anarchist, liberals. Like that, that's, those things don't really go together. But yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry. I'm getting tangenty again. My bad. My bad. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts for us as leaving? Why is you're leaving us? I'm sad you're leaving. Um, I'm sad. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I... There, there's part of me that is sad. There's also part of me that is very excited for... Many of the reasons that I already spoke on, but also just, uh, yeah, I'm excited to have time to garden again. <laughs> gardening is fun. I love gardening. I'm- oh, my other other advice is you should get chickens when you move. Get chickens. I want chickens. Get some chicken snuggles. They're, it's very helpful after a stressful day. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, yeah, I just want to buy a house with some land and have chickens and goats and just, you know, you know, do some like little. And my dream is that at some point I will end up 
being able to share a farm space with you and any other sex workers that want to be farmers. I'm keep telling you, come to Michigan. <laughs> come to Michigan with me. Don't leave me by myself up there. We have to find some place in West Virginia that's equidistant. Why does it have to be West Virginia? Because it's cheap. Ugh, fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would totally love that and just like run just sort of like a resort and just be like, hey, sex workers need somewhere to chill. Come here. And yeah. Come do goat yoga. Do goat yoga. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. That would be adorable. I love it. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Me too. <laughs> All right, so we've been recording for about an hour. We can stay on longer if you like. That's up to you. Or we can go I, if you have things to do. I feel like my, my brain, I brain dumped as much as I can brain dump. Okay. <laughs> that, is, that is legit. Yeah, I'm sure that this is like a very, um, I don't know, I don't know, tumultuous week, I guess, leaving and reconciling it and being glad to go and sad to go and yeah, just yeah. everything coming together. I'm going to acupuncture in a few hours, and yeah, I don't know what I'm going to tell my practitioner. I don't know how I'm going to get him to help square this for me. <laughs> I have faith in you. Thank you. You will. You will. You will handle it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we just. Oh. Yeah. No, I'm just witnessing an episode of nice people having trouble saying goodbye. <laughs> Is that what you're really trying to get to? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I love Krista, and, you know, like, as a person, Krista's amazing, but also the as an activist, Krista's amazing, and I'm like, I don't get to work with this amazing person anymore, I'm, like, sad about it. Yeah. We'll still work together, just in a different capacity. Yeah, oh, yeah, with Baltimore, which I'm going to be bringing a bunch of stuff to Baltimore, so I might actually bother you more than you bother me. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Because, like, we're beta testing Baltimore for everything. <laughs> Yeah, and, and when we move, there'll be a, a bigger um, recording office to do the program from. We'll be able to do better programming. Uh, more, it, yeah. Basically, every time we move, it gets a little, it gets a little, a little bit better, a little better. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, it'll be dope. Uh, you come back. Um, I don't really know. Like I don't know. You you look like a regular person. You got your hair cut. You got your face <laughs> on your face. You ran. Yeah, like you look. You look regular to me. Maybe maybe Facebook Live next time. You look lively. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think I didn't want a recording of a video recording of me smoking because I'm hoping to quit smoking. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, but that's documenting growth. I, <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I'm a propagandist. You see how fast I did that? Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Say goodbye, nice kids. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Phoenix. Thank you so much, William. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. We are definitely going to miss your work as ED, but we are super excited to see where you go next. And thank you for taking time to hang out with us on Swapcast. Thank you. I love you. Bye. And click it and leave. And leave. And stop this.